0: Good morning. Hopefully you are aware that we are in week three of our missions emphasis month. And we've had uh, two wonderful weeks to begin with, uh, with Ashok and his ministry in India, with William Lung and what AGS has been doing. And this week we have another special opportunity to hear from a lady who I know who is passionate about her faith and sharing it. But before I go a little bit farther and introduce her, We've alluded to the candle being lit again today, and Doug said a little bit something about it during the uh, children's minute up here, but once again, two ladies came to Christ during the AFF time this past week, so it's a time for us to celebrate as a church that we can light this candle again. Uh, This morning, I have the privilege of introducing Becky Comer. I've gotten to know her a little bit. She's with Partners International, serving passionately about sharing the gospel message and all over the world. In the short time I've gotten to know her, it's very easy to tell that she's passionate about getting people to know about who Christ is and how how he can change their lives. And she's done that in a number of different ways in a number of different places. So would you warmly welcome Becky and the testimony that you've been able to share with us this morning. Good
1: morning. My name's Becky Coomer, and I work for Partners International. So Ashok came to Hong Kong with Partners International, and what Partners does is we take resources from the developed world and take them into the 1040 window, which is the most unreached, unevangelized, poorest part of the world. So that's what Partners does. And I've worked with Partners for about a year, but I've volunteered with them for over five years because I've worked in missions for 15 years, And once I started volunteering with them, I realized they're very, very good at what they do. And they've existed for 70 years, and they started when China shut down, and I just got really excited about Partners Vision. I tell you that because you saw me here two weeks ago with a Shook, and I wanted you to know why I was with a Shook. But that's not what I'm going to talk about today. But I wanted to share with you why I work with Partners and why I was here with a Shook. I want to start with prayer, and just join me. Father God, I just thank you for the chance to speak, the chance to represent you. God, I pray that your spirit just invade this place. I pray that your spirit invade me. I pray that your spirit speak. God, I pray that you be glorified. I pray that you be glorified in my successes. I pray that you be glorified in my failures. God, I pray that you be glorified in the successes and the failures of those listening today. God, I pray that those who know you know you better and come closer to you today and just be bold in their faith. And those that don't know you, God, that they know you today. Jesus, I just praise you for who you are and what you are in my life and how faithful you've been. In Jesus' name, amen. So I said that I've been in missions for 15 years. I um, grew up in a Christian home. My dad is a pastor, Um, so every Sunday at the end of the message, my father would share the gospel, and he would say, A, admit you're a sinner, B, believe, C, confess. It's easy as that. A, admit you're a sinner, B, believe, C, confess. And so in my head and my heart, I always knew, A, admit you're a sinner, B, believe, C, confess. Easy as that. And then when I got older and I realized, you know, I should be sharing my faith, I didn't really quite comprehend how to do that. And I remember I was in college and thinking okay I should be sharing my faith and I was the resident director of my dormitory and this girl came to me and this tells you how much I listened because I have no idea what she was sharing but she was in tears and she was distraught and I was just really passionate about how Jesus had changed my life and I was just kind of waiting for her to stop talking so that I could get to the point that Jesus can fix this and so I was like You know, what you really need is Jesus. And I tell you this, and I'm going to tell you a couple other stories because I want to tell you what I've done in missions and how God has affected that. But I usually tell the same part of my missions testimony, but I really have a burden to tell this to this group today. I want to tell you how I've screwed up. But the great thing about Jesus is we screw up and he doesn't. We screw up and God is faithful. We screw up and God is faithful. And that's that's what the children's sermon was about today, which is very applicable to the adults. That's why they say it in front of us. We have faith of a mustard seed. So I sat there and was like, okay, you know what? You really, really need Jesus. And she's like, and you could tell on her face, were you listening to me? Like, do you, do you know anything that I said? And you know how Jesus was faithful in that is by making that girl look at me the way she did, because... That's the day that I learned to start listening to people. Because the first first step in learning to share your faith is listen to the person talking to you. And you know, it's hard, it's hard all over the globe to listen to people. But it seems to be really, really hard in Hong Kong to listen to people. Because we're so stinking busy all the time. Everywhere we go, okay, I'll meet you for coffee. I have five minutes, and I have five more minutes, and I have five minutes. And you're like, yes, okay, okay, well, I'll catch you later. And... We don't listen, and we don't feel people's pain. Well, this is the story that I really wanted to share with you. So there's this girl named Julie, and Julie was in the library one day. She was doing work-study, same university, and I had to get a book, and then I had to go to a Bible study, ironically, and I saw Julie, and Julie's one of those people that just, she's really shy, but once you get to know her, she'll talk and talk and talk because she doesn't talk to many people. And I thought, oh, if I check out this book, Julie's going to want to talk. And I don't have time to talk because I'm going to Bible study. See the irony there? And so I I needed to talk to Julie. And I went up, gave her my book. And she's stamping it. She's like, hi, Becky. How are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm good. And see, Julie knew me because I was the president of the Student Christian Association. She knew me because I was really invested active on my Christian campus, and she was like, blah, 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 And I'm like, uh-huh, okay, well, I'll see you later, Julie. And I just kind of cut her off. And I don't know that Julie felt that way, but I knew it. And the Spirit just convicted me, and I felt horrible. But I was late, and I was on the way to Bible study, so it was okay, and I went to Bible study, and I kind of brushed it off. About two weeks later, I saw Julie walking down the street, and she's one of those people that walks like this. Had her hair down. And again I was in a member of a Christian drama team. We did outreach, you know, with drama. And I was like, "Oh god, I'm running late." Isn't that time theme? Always running late. And I'm like, "God, I don't have time to go do this." But he was convicting me and convicting me and I'm like, oh, "Okay. Hey Julie, how you doing?" And she's like oh, And her face just lit up. But can somebody talk to Julie? I'm like, "Hi. And I said, what you doing? And she's like, oh, nothing. And I said, well, I'm going to my drama group. You want to come with me? Yeah, yeah. I love drama. You know, she's one of those people, because we tend to stereotype people. She's one of those people you'd never imagine Julie would do drama because she was so shy. Julie was amazing at drama. She joined our drama group, became very active in it. it. was in four years of her life, she was in drama. You know, Julie became one of my best friends. She's still my friend. Ten years later, she's still my friend. And I went to China, moved to China 10, I guess 15 years later, gosh, moved to China 10 years ago, came back, and there's a group of my friends from college that still meets for a Bible study. And one summer I was home, and they just had spontaneous testimonies about life and what God was doing in their life and what he has done in my life. Julie started telling her story, and she said, you know, I grew up in church. I always went to church. I could tell you all the Bible stories, but I never understood grace until I joined our drama group. And she looked at me, started sobbing, and she said, if you hadn't stopped on the street that day, I wouldn't be a Christian. And I thought, oh, oh. Because see what happens, this is why I'm telling you all the my mess-ups, is because we put the word missionary on people, and they're like, wow. And I speak at lots of churches. I go raise support for people. I raise money for missions, and people are like, Wow, you're so awesome. And really, here's the truth of it. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace. And I am a dirty, rotten sinner that has sinful thoughts. And I get busy. And I'm too busy for people, even though I'm a missionary. And Julie, who's my really good friend, over a decade into our friendship says, Hey, you're responsible for my salvation. And it took me about six months to tell her the truth because I felt so bad. And I said, No, Julie, Jesus is responsible for your salvation. And when I told her, she goes, gosh, that kind of makes me feel sad. And I said, no. It just means that we have a Savior who pursues us. He pursues us with this loving passion. And he doesn't, he's bigger than me. He's bigger than my mistakes. So I graduated from college and I had gone on a short-term mission trip when I was 17 overseas, and I really knew I was supposed to live overseas. but it took me, from the time I was 17 to the time I was 25, to come to grips with that. And I kept praying about which Spanish-speaking country I was supposed to go to, because I spoke Spanish. And I spent six years, seven years asking God, "Where do you want me which Spanish-speaking country do you want me to go to?" And finally, I said, "God, where do you want me to go?" And as soon as I said, where do you want me, and just said, okay, where, China started popping up. (laughs) What? China? China, China, China. No, thank you. Um, (laughs) I also want to put this little precursor. I am helplessly American, and I apologize for that. Um, I've, I've traveled all over the world, and I've spoken all over the world, but I've never told my testimony in front of a mixed audience. And so my humor is a bit American, and I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry because I see Americans in mixed audiences, and sometimes I just shake my head. Anyway, I want you to know, I'll tell you the end of the story before the beginning, I love China. But in 2005, when God started showing me China, I knew nothing about China. To me, in 2005, China was rice, bicycles, and Jackie Chan. And I kid you not... (laughs) I I thought, in college, I thought, I'm going into missions, but I spoke Spanish, so I used every little bit of logic I had in my mustard seed faith, and was like, okay, well, I speak Spanish, so I'm going to a Spanish-speaking country, and I started studying those countries. And I knew that China was in that big stretch of population I just talked about, where people need Jesus more than anywhere else, but I didn't know Chinese, I didn't speak Chinese, I didn't know anything about that country, so I thought I'd go where I knew something, And then, when I said, where do you want me to go, he started opening up doors to China. I'd watch television, and it would talk about needs in China. I'd go places, it would talk about needs in China. I'd open up a magazine, it'd be needs in China. And I was like, God, I don't think you understood. I meant, where do you want me to go besides China? (laughs) And then, my friend, my friend who was a missionary in China from college, got online one day. I hadn't talked to him in over a year. And he's like, hey, Becky, I want you to pray about going to China. I mean, how much more obvious than that can you get? And I was like, okay, I'll pray about it. But I want you to know, I have no desire to go to China. So don't expect anything. Okay. So I prayed about it for six weeks. And this is what I came up with. God, these are the reasons I should not go to China. Number one, my mother's mother just found out she had cancer. My father's father had just passed away. What kind of child goes to her parents and says, I'm moving to China? Okay. Number two, I worked for a church plant in Arkansas, which was nine hours away from my parents already. When I sat down and told my parents I was moving to Arkansas, remember, my dad's a pastor. Go missions. But when I sat and said, I'm moving to Arkansas, he's a very logical man, my dad. He sat down for three hours and said, have you thought about this? 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 He's a pastor, but he's also a father. And he loves me. And so I was like, how can I tell them I'm going to China if it took three hours to get to Arkansas? It's going to take 24 hours to get to China. And I work for this church plant. And every Sunday, we take everything up, and we put everything down. And I was doing children's ministry and youth ministry and printing bulletins and folding bulletins and helping with accounting and anything else they needed because it was a church plant. And I thought, God, I can't go to China. This church needs me. It's a hard lesson to learn that they need Jesus and not Becky. And the third one is that when I was 20, when I was in college, I started having seizures. You don't know what seizures is? When you fall on the ground and shake. Never had a seizure in my life before that, but I started when I was 20. It's pretty much controlled by medicine, but every two years or so, I have a breakthrough seizure, they call it, and they have to raise my medicine. When that happens in the United States, I wake up. I have no idea what happened. It's like you're in a dream fog. And they say, oh, you had a seizure. And they have to convince me I had a seizure. I've busted my head open. I've sprained my arm. I had a wreck one year. In the United States, when you wake up like that and people are surrounding you, it's very scary. But they speak English. (laughs) And I was like, God, if I go to China and I have a seizure, I don't know what's going on. And every time I prayed that, every time I told him my three reasons, he said, Becky, do you trust me? I was like, well, God, of course I trust you. You're God. But these are the reasons I shouldn't go to China. And, you know, I came to grips with something in my prayer time. You can't say I trust you, but. You can say I trust you, or you can say I don't trust you, but you can't say I trust you, but. So... Prayed about it, and I said, Okay, God, I'm going. First things first, if you if you love God, you honor your parents. So I went to my parents first, and I tears in my eyes, and I said, I know this has been the hardest year our family's ever had. I've got to go to China. And my dad, my dad, who had sat and looked at me and talked to me for three hours about Arkansas, and my mother, who had said, Well, it sounds like you know what you're gonna do when we were talking about Arkansas. My dad said, I don't understand why you're so upset. If you've got to go to China, go to China. <laughs> and I was like, who are you? And then my mom, who had sat in silence about Arkansas and just said, it sounds like you know what you're supposed to do. When I said I'm going to China, she said, well, Becky, we didn't give you wings so that you would live in our backyard. I thought, when did you become a poet? <laughs> and then... I go to my church, which was a small church plant, and I was doing way too many things. And I thought, they need me. And I stood up and I said, I'm moving to China. And the day that I stood up and said, I'm going to China, they had six people join the church and take over the roles that I did. (laughs) Sometimes God needs you to get out of the way so other people can do the roles he's called them to do. And, you know, I wish I could say it, and then God miraculously healed me. I still have seizures. I've had seizures since I've been in Hong Kong. But my medicine was relatively new in China, and I had contacted people. I contacted my friends in China. They checked the hospitals in China, and they couldn't get my medicine. But I contacted someone in Hong Kong. I lived in Guangzhou, and they could get my medicine in Hong Kong. So I thought, okay, well, every couple months I'll just come over, get a refill, go back. I took three months of medicine with me when I first went. Two weeks before my medicine ran out, the missionary who brought my organization to China in the first place, she and her husband were in their 80s. They came when they were in their 60s. So if you're older and you think that's too late to go to the mission field anywhere, this couple went when they were retired, and because elders are still respected in Asia, they had the biggest Bible study I've ever seen. The police knew they existed, and they left them alone because they were older and everybody respected older. They had doctors, lawyers, businessmen in their study. And she came to me and said, hey, I have doctors in my Bible study. Let me see if I can get your medicine. Sure enough, there's a neurologist. He could get my medicine, which was amazing enough. But I went to him and I was like, we've checked all the area hospitals. They don't have my medicine. Why do you have my medicine? And he said, well, I'm one of a handful of doctors in mainland China that's using this medicine. and. I just happened to be in her Bible study. So one of like 10 doctors in mainland China that is using my, my, my medicine happens to be in the Bible study of the lady who got me to come to China. So when God says, do you trust me? The answer is yes, yes. okay. So I went to China and I taught English, which I didn't really know what I was doing about teaching English. Um, I remember thinking the first day, I'm gonna walk into this classroom, it has a camera, and I'm terrified. And even when I walked into the country, I was like, they know I'm here to talk about Jesus. (laughs) And I remember handing my passport and it's a game my friends and I play now at borders, different places. We're like missionary, missionary, missionary. Have you ever noticed that I actually had a Mormon when I was in Shangshui one day, there was a Mormon on the train and she said, you look like a Mormon missionary. Yeah, that's the day I went shopping. Um, I was like... But missionaries do have a look to us, apparently. Um, Scary. I I want you to know that before I went to China, I was so terrified. Because on that side of the world, there's just this thing about... are more scared of china than they are scared of like honduras i have friends in honduras honduras has the like most death rate in the world right now but they're like let's go to honduras and i'm like you know they don't have guns in china right like china's awesome um but for some reason we're all terrified to come to china and terrified of what it might mean and i just read paul's letters over and over in his missionary journeys and this is the verse because i was like god i have no idea what i'm doing but if you say go i will go faith mustard seed so i gave my little profile at the beginning i have 15 missionary years missionary experience i have my masters of arts and missiology that's now right that's because as you go you're like okay i need to learn more but it's always the faith of a mustard seed and you know what I'm learning. The more the more you step out on faith, the more God's like, "Okay, now a bigger challenge and a bigger faith challenge and a bigger faith story," which kind of scares me because I'm 33 and I'm like, "God, if you trust me this much now, um, I, <laughs> what's coming next?" But this is the verse that got me, and I just clung to. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with you with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to. The you the testimony about God for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling yes my message was not with wise or persuasive words but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power And Paul, Paul was a scholar, so Paul was very smart. He could have been wise and persuasive, but he wanted God to be glorified. He wanted God to take care of it. And you know, I walked in my class the first day, and I was like, "God, I don't, I have no idea what I'm going to say." And we try to obey China's laws to a T, in as much as possible. And I was in there, and one of the things is you can share your faith if asked. And I walked in, and I introduced myself. I talked about my family, had all the students talk about their family. said, do you have any questions? And one student raised her hand and said, can you tell us about Jesus? I was like, okay, this is going to be a lot easier than I thought. Now, granted, that didn't happen every day, but it was really great for your first class for that to happen. My point is, God made a path. And you know, one thing I've learned, culture to culture, country to country, is you have to figure out how to share your story. How, how do you tell the gospel message in an appropriate way? Clearly, it's not like I shared it in the dormitory and be like, stop talking about yourself and stop sharing your heart. A, admit your sin, or B, believe, C, confess. Right? I mean, you need to tell people that Jesus died for them But you have to tell it in a culturally appropriate way. You have to tell it when the door opens. And one thing I learned in China, it's all about the law. All about the law. You know, I don't want to come in and be like, We are sinners. Sinners. You need the Bible. You need Jesus. Sinner. But if I ask you this question... If I, as a foreigner, if I, as an American, come into China and I jump in a taxi and I'm driving down the street and I hit someone with my taxi, it's not my taxi, I don't have a driver's license, and I kill them, what would happen? You know what the student's answer always was? Always. You'd be put to death. Yes. I would be put to death. Absolutely. But what would happen if I went before a judge in China and I said, I don't believe in your law. I'm an American, I don't believe in your law. He would laugh at me. He would laugh at me because I live in China, I have to obey Chinese law. Absolutely. So the thing is, my students, if they found out I was a Christian, and I didn't walk into my classroom, like I said, we want to obey Chinese law. I didn't walk in and be like, I'm a Christian, you need to be Christian. But if a student finds out I'm a Christian, and I wasn't, I didn't hide that either, because you're allowed to be a Christian in China. They'd say, yes, you're an American, Americans are Christian. I'm like, well, let me tell you more about my culture, because a lot of Americans are not Christians, and a lot of Chinese are Christians. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's your culture. But if I go before the Chinese judge and I say I'm an American, I don't believe in your law, he says, you have to obey my law, because you're in China. And if I'm right, and there is one God who's made the law of the entire universe, if, always if, if I'm right, then he makes the law of the entire universe. And if he made that law, and his law in this book is right, the first law says, one of his ten laws, the ten commandments, you shouldn't lie. Have you ever told a lie? Me too. I'm guilty. It says you should honor your parents. Have you ever dishonored your parents in your entire life in any way? Yes. Yes. Guilty. It says you should not commit adultery. We're all good, right? But the thing is, the New Testament says, if you lust in your heart, it's the same as adultery. All these blank faces across the room. I'm guilty, right? We're all guilty. And that's just three of the 10 laws. And if the God of the universe is the true lawgiver, just like me as an American China, I have to follow his law, right? Well, see, the thing is, if, one of, if I'm sharing with a student, or if I'm sharing with you, If you come into the courtroom, and you're like, the judge says you're guilty of hitting someone with a taxi. And your punishment is death. And you're like, no. Becky is the greatest English teacher in the world. We can't do this. I will take her punishment. I will do it. And you jump in the way. Well, I I would be shocked, shocked. But you know what? If you took my punishment, I'm not going to keep it a secret. I'm going to tell everyone I've ever met, because you're my new best friend. And that's what happened. I have broken God's law, and Jesus walked into the courtroom and said, she is guilty. She is. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. I proclaim that I am guilty. I know that I am guilty. That's it. Part of it, the whole essence of Christianity is that I have to admit that I am guilty, But then Jesus comes in and says, because you acknowledge that you are guilty, I love you enough that I'm going to take your punishment. Because you deserve death, but I took your punishment. And so now you're free to go. But that makes Jesus my best friend. And because he's my best friend, because he took my punishment, it is my responsibility to say what he did. It's my responsibility to tell every person I meet. Because I love him for it. It is your responsibility to tell anyone you meet. If you're a Christian sitting in this room, it's your responsibility. If you're a non-Christian in this room, that's what Jesus did for you. He has a law. Every, the Bible says that all of us have broken it. Because that first question, have you ever told a lie? Everyone always says, sure I have, I'm human. Exactly. The law isn't to say, here's, here are you, and you need to be perfect. It says, God is perfect, and you will never get to him without Jesus. You can't do it. We've all fallen short of his holiness. And to get to him, you need someone to take your punishment. And that's what Jesus did. And every one of us have a responsibility to tell that story. So I was in China for three years, and then I... It, you know, my first big thing was, I don't know the language. And I thought, you know all these missionaries they're studying here? I'd read all of those biographies. And I thought, they're, they're a little bit different. They didn't have Skype. And Skype came out the year I went to China. But nonetheless, I had read those biographies. And they, when they went to a mission field, they packed their caskets. They went for life. I didn't pack my casket But in my head, when I prayed about it, I was like, am I willing to go for life? And so I just assumed God was calling me to China for life. And once I got to China, I fell in love with China. Terrified to walk in the door, but here's a very good example of one of the reasons I knew I was home. When I was a child, my family would go to KFC. Um, As a stereotype, everybody thinks we eat it all the time. We did not go all the time, but when we did, I would eat my chicken, and then after I was done, I would chew on the bone. I would eat, ah, loved it. That is not something that happens in America. And my mother would be like, stop it. Rebecca is my big name. Becky is my short name. Rebecca, Rebecca, stop. There's no more chicken. I got to China, everybody chews the bone. I was like, God has made me for this country. And there were so many little things like that that God had put his thumbprint on my heart for China. And so then I fell in love with China and I fell in love with the people. My hometown has 2,000 people. I didn't fall in love with the crowds because that was major culture shock. Um, But I just, I was okay. with staying the rest of my life in Guangzhou. And I started studying Mandarin, went to the university. And then one summer, I went to a house church. I didn't go to a house church to break the law. I went to a house church to meet a Christian family to spend the summer with. And I was young, and I was naive, and I just wanted, they said, come and meet us. And so I went, and I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and the police came in, and they invited me to leave China. And I had, I actually went out and was able to come back in, which is pretty normal. They let you come back in, I found out, um, but then after my visa expired, I had to come back to Hong Kong to get my visa renewed. And that little brief time that I went out after they kicked me out and went back in, I had this short window, and everywhere I went I was like, pray for my visa, pray for my visa, pray for my visa, pray for my visa. And elders in my church were like, you know, Becky, God already knows. And I'm like, yes, but he says petition him, pray for my visa. Because I had fallen in love with China. and. I went to an international church conference the weekend before I came to Hong Kong to get my visa. And they had an altar call just like the rest of the time, pray for my visa. Went to the altar and they started playing all to Jesus I surrender. And 3 years before that, I would sit in my church on the piano and I do this because I took piano lessons for 7 years and I didn't have Asian parents who forced me to practice. And- And so I know the notes, but I still peck. And um, so I would play in my church before I went to China, trying to convince myself I was surrendering, and just being like, God, I want to surrender, but I can't. And I'm trying. And I'm just going to take it step by step and get to China. And then I got there, and I fell in love. With China, and I was at this altar, and they started pr- playing, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give, and I thought, God, I want to surrender, but you see, I have this giant backpack that I travel with, and when I travel, I stuff everything I can, and I stick to the backpack, but my students that had become like my children don't fit in my backpack, I will ever love and trust him In his presence daily live God, I know this is silly, but my sofa won't fit in my backpack I know it's stuff, but, you know, traditional Chinese furniture is a bench And they got an Ikea in Guangzhou the year that I went And I invested in a sofa And people liked coming to my house because it was homey Is that a word? Homie, and I liked my sofa. Uh, I surrender all. God, my spirit is willing and my flesh is weak. I surrender all. And you know, sometimes we sing that song. I don't know if you sing that song here, but I grew up singing that song, and sometimes we're like all to Jesus, I surrender all. And sometimes we can sing it out of our mouth, but in our head and our heart, we're like, I surrender all. And that is how I was in that moment. And I had, I had dishes in China, and I had a desktop computer in China, and I had all this stuff in China. And I had relationships, and I loved those relationships too, but a lot of it was stuff. And I'm like, God, I don't want to give up my stuff. No, but you know the next day Sometimes we have choices about surrender I chose to surrender to come to China I didn't get to choose to surrender to leave And the next day I had to come to Hong Kong Give them my paperwork And I stayed in a hotel that night And I woke up in the hotel Still just, God, give me a visa And Psalm 23 was on my heart And I realized the children's workers are in the back But you can tell them later This is why it's important to invest in kids. Because when I was eight years old, I learned Psalm 23. And other than that, I had just heard it at funerals and thought, man, this is really way too used at funerals, but never really processed it. And that morning I woke up without reading scripture, verse by verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God, you are my provider. He makes, see, I can't do it, but I did that day. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. God, you are my peace. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. God, you're my restoration. God, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God, is for your glory. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. You comfort me. God, you're my comfort. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. God, I have no idea what that means. That's exactly what I said that day. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, this is your day. And I went to the visa office and just kept saying, God, this is your day. God, this is your day. God, this is your day. And I went in, and the lady said, no visa. I walked out with tears running down my face. I'm like, God, this is your day. God, this is your day. God, this is your day. And I had a choice. And you know what? Fail. Like I said, we fail, God doesn't. All morning long, I cheered myself and I said, God, this is your day. God, this is your day. And I walked out of that office still saying, God, this is your day. God, this is your day. And I had come to Hong Kong a hundred times on the through train and on the Shenzhen train. And I knew the difference. But I had four days left on my visa. And I thought, I can get back on that train and go get more stuff. So instead of going to Shenzhen and seeing if I could get in, I got on the through train, went all the way back to Guangzhou, and they stopped me at the border. Because, you know, it's funny. If they type something on a computer here, they see it in China. (laughs) Crazy. Um, They stopped me at the border. They held me for three more hours. And they didn't do anything. I I really want to make that clear, because it seems like everyone in Hong Kong is either angry at the Chinese government or terrified of the Chinese government. The police officers are just doing their job, right? That's why I say we want to respect the laws as much as we possibly can. And they were doing their job. It says she's not allowed in China. They stopped me. They held me. They came back in the room and said, I'm sorry, your visa's been canceled. And they put me back on the train and made sure those four days were canceled. But then I was exhausted. You know why? Because I'd been carrying this stupid backpack around. I'd put so much stuff in this backpack, and now, and that's what we do, right? We, we're exhausted from all the burdens in our life, but half of them we put on ourselves. And so I'd carried all of this stuff around, and I got back on the train, and you know what the first thing I said? God, this is your day. And I said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I took it back, and I know I was wrong for taking it back. But God, I'm tired. I'm physically tired, I'm spiritually tired, I'm emotionally tired, I have no place to go in Hong Kong. And now all of you are thinking, I wish you'd had my phone number. And I don't know what I'm doing. And my computer's in mainland, I don't know how to contact my office in the States. I need help. I got a text message from one of my friends in mainland who said, hey, I'm in Hong Kong, you wanna have dinner? And I was like, lost my visa, dinner sounds great. He met me at the train station. He happened to be having a dinner at his friend's house here, who had been a missionary here for thirty years. She said, "Hey, I heard you lost your visa. Have a place to stay?" And said, No. And she said, "You stay as long as you need." And I stayed with her for a week. And she said, "I heard you had a, figured you probably had a bad day, so I pulled some U.S. beef out of the freezer, which is no big deal in Hong Kong, but it's a huge deal in mainland. Mainland cow, not the same as an American cow." And. I know that you've heard Americans are a little ethnocentric, especially about our food. And uh, I love Chinese food, but when it comes to emotional times, you, you just need those comfort foods, right? So she pulled out U.S. beef, and she said, and I made an apple pie. And for some reason with my mother, my mother was never a really good cook, and she knows this. Um, but she made really good pies. And anytime time there was a crisis in our family, she would make someone a pie, And an apple pie. And this woman said, I made an apple pie. And I was like, oh, yes. And she said, and I made mashed potatoes. And I've now been to like 15 countries, and I've decided that mashed potatoes, best food in the entire world. (laughs) It's my favorite. And so my friend prayed for dinner, and he said, God, I just pray that you give Becky peace. She seems to have peace, but I just pray that you continue to give her peace. And I had my eyes wide open, and I was like, mashed potatoes. Because that morning, I got to the verse that says, he prepares a table in the presence of your enemies. And I was like, I don't get what that means. And you know, he's preparing this heavenly table for us right now. But he also says he wants his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he gave me a very literal example of the fact that we can lose everything. 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 And it doesn't matter. Because we have Jesus. And it's the only thing that matters. Everything. And I think in Hong Kong, like, I've said that hundreds of times. And the the first time I told this testimony was three days after I got kicked out. And I I said it in front of the same lady twice. And she said, oh, it was so much better the first time. I'm like, okay. Um, Because I told it with just tears in my eyes because I was mourning China. I loved China. And I didn't know what God held for the future. And God has blessed the last five years that I've been in Hong Kong. He's blessed them. Six years, goodness. He's done amazing things. It's been sorrowful in moments and tragedies in moments and great blessings in moments. But he's done amazing things. But when we don't know the future and we've seen the blessings of the past, it's very, very scary. But, you know, I think that one sentence is the hardest thing for us, even myself, to come to grips with in Hong Kong. Because there's so much stuff. And there's so much of a fight for stuff. And a fight for status. And a fight for everything. And the fact is, one day, we're all going to die. I mean, that sounds really harsh. And it sounds like, all old school church and everything like that. And I'm not going there. I'm saying... We're going to lose the stuff. No matter what. Even if we hang on to it for life, we're going to lose the stuff. And so if the economy does go bust and we lose all our stuff, it's okay if we have Jesus. Because he is the plumb line. He is the rock. And he is all that matters. And Romans 12.2. Which I lost. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Until we're transformed every day by the renewing of our mind, when we come back to the rock of Jesus, everything else passes away. It doesn't mean that stuff is bad. It doesn't mean that our jobs are bad. It doesn't mean status is bad. But if we don't use that for his glory, if we don't use that to advance his kingdom, it's all worthless. All worthless. So I just want to encourage you today. Encourage you to use what you have for one purpose. Thank you.